On the Empire Podcast this week, we welcome the director of a film about a hero who soars through the skies and the rich establishment figure trying to bring him down. Yes, it's the director of Eddie the Eagle, Dexter Fletcher. What, is there another movie out this week that fits that description? Hmm, interesting. Plus, as usual, movie news and nonsense on the podcast that must be losing its eyesight because we've seen Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice twice now and we can't see Dawn of Justice anywhere. She must be being held back for the DVD because... It's okay. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt uh, Welcome to the Empire Podcast uh, Happy Easter to everybody uh, Hope you're enjoying your bank holiday weekend Do send me your chocolate eggs uh, In case you're wondering Why we don't have any guests on this week From Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice uh, We do, just not on this The regular Mothership Pod uh, Instead our patented spoiler special podcast Will be up next week And it features interesting chats uh, With producers Deborah Snyder and Chuck Roven And director Zack Snyder Sadly, he didn't bring any of uh, Zack Snyder's snack cider with him. That would have been fun. Anyway, keep your ears peeled for that spoiler special podcast. It'll be up next week sometime. We're going to record it on Tuesday. So here's another thing. If you go and see Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice this week, do send in your questions. Should you have any questions, and I suspect you will, uh, do send them in to us, uh, and we can discuss them on the spoiler podcast. Uh, the email address is podcast at empireonline.com. Try and mark them if you can, the subject heading Batman v Superman or BVS or... Whatever you want to do. Uh, and we'll discuss them on the podcast when we record it. And it'll hopefully be up next week. Uh, but we'll keep you uh, abreast of the, any developments on that. Right, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. No Helen or Emma this week. So it's a swinging sausage fest of mansplaining and gathering around a pack of biscuits, I'm afraid. Um, first up is the king of mansplaining, a man who hasn't found a subject upon which he can't pontificate for hours. It's James Dyer. Hello. How are you? You didn't mention the West Wing this this week. I know. I'm trying to change it up. Uh, well, I, that's admirable. But this week would have been a good also, week. it's really difficult because <laughs> you've never seen the West Wing. Um, well, I've seen three episodes of the West Wing. Oh, it may have been the one episode three times. It's very yeah. hard to tell. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's tricky. Like Helen, she's the gig queen. She likes dragons and the Winchester Brothers. And I'm running out there. Uh, Phil's the art house guru. There's lots of art house directors. That's easy enough. John destroys careers for a living that's what he does you like the West Wing and I don't know what I can do with that you're saying I'm sort of bland and characterless this is what you're saying I have no pigeonhole you put those words into my mouth well speaking of the West Wing I will say I have this week discovered a podcast better than this one that's not difficult (laughs) in fairness perhaps but uh, Josh Molina who played uh, Will Bailey on the West Wing is doing a complete rewatch of the show I'm not kidding he is watching every single episode who did you play sorry Uh, he played Will Bailey uh, and he, uh, <laughs> yeah. Chris just shrugged. He replaced Robert. Yeah. Um, I did the uh, Alan Partridge. Uh, I, don't, I don't care. Who. Um, yes, and he's doing a podcast per episode of the re- of the West Wing. All, uh, all and what's he called it? Uh, what's the podcast? The West name? Wing Weekly. The West, West Wing, Wing Weekly. What's the W's there? John Nugent's here as well. Career killer, John Nugent, who hasn't destroyed a single career in Hollywood since we sent him on an anger management course. Isn't I mean. It? I, I'm not sure I've destroyed any careers in Hollywood. John Favreau still seems to be working. Um, <laughs> to your chagrin. <laughs> I think he's despite doing, doing alright, despite apparently my campaign. Uh, it's the hate letters, John, that really get me. It's the, I don't you know. <laughs> I know I've got I've got some words to say about Zack Snyder's career, but we'll get to that. Ooh. later. Yeah. Um, I need to interrupt this uh, regularly scheduled broadcast to fulfil a promise, okay. which I made to Emma Thrower of this parish, who isn't on this podcast this week. I promised her last week that if she hadn't watched Die Hard, 
by this time, I would publicly yes. shame her on the Empire podcast. So I'm going to take this opportunity to announce a public service announcement. Emma Thrower has never watched a single Die Hard film. I lent her the complete box set about two months ago. She has still not watched it. I think it's a sackable offence. Readers, I would like, or listeners, I should say, I would like to know what you think. Shall we have her burned <laughs> I mean, for not having seen Die Hard? Sort of setting the dogs on Repeatedly her, refused, under great peer pressure, to yeah. watch so not only is this a swinging sausage fest of a podcast with uh, nary a well. single female mm. voice, but now you're advocating burning yeah. uh, one of the few uh, female participants yeah. in this podcast. And frankly, if Helen were here, I think she'd agree with me. <laughs> she probably would, in fairness. Um, Emma, no, let's not burn Emma Thrower. We, we shouldn't burn her, but we should maybe, you know, uh, humiliate her in public. I, th- think, well, I think that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly what my goal is. What age? No, I'm not going to ask what age Emma is, because that will make me feel old. Uh, but... I can see why she wouldn't have seen Die Hard, um, but yeah, we should definitely make her watch Die Hard. It, it, it should be mandatory, it I should. think. But having said that, this is something that is uh, quite common. Uh, for example, I interviewed Ty Sheridan recently, who plays Cyclops in the forthcoming motion picture X-Men Apocalypse, and turns out that he had never seen an X-Men movie. Really? Until about a week before he uh, got wind of his audition for uh, X Men Apocalypse, and the first one he saw was X Men: Days of Future Past. He hadn't seen any of the other ones. And also this week, did you read this? That, Miles uh, Teller. Miles Teller. Yeah. Uh, talking about auditioning for the Young Han Solo movie, hadn't seen a single Star Wars film. How does that happen? Well, he. I think he. I think he watched the original trilogy after he found out he was auditioning for Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, which should immediately invalidate you from yeah. the process. I think. I think he's invalidated himself in the process. I think he doesn't so, seem yeah. to be on the shortlist anymore, but uh, it was a, a strange decision to put yeah. him in. He's a very, very good actor, but he's not hes not a young Han Solo. Um, but, yeah, I just, I, that, that is interesting. Everyone has blind spots. Everyone misses stuff. There's, there's obviously huge swathes I haven't seen. Same for you, Jimbo. James hasn't uh, seen Citizen Kane. I'm just... That is true. That is absolutely true. I have steadfastly refused to watch Citizen Kane. It's now become a thing. I can now never watch it because it's my thing. I've never seen Citizen Kane. Wow. Yeah. Why? Uh, it's hard to say. It's one of these films where I know I should watch, but it looks insufferably tedious, and I just it, I just don't want to see it. Uh, I think that's where it started, and then obviously I came to work at Empire, um, and I think I mentioned it in conversation quite early on when I started. I've never seen Citizen Kane. It, become, it became such a, a thing that I kind of decided to own it. So now, even though I've had opportunities since to watch it, I've said, well, no, if, if I watch it now, I won't be able to say I've never seen Citizen Kane. So... It's like a party trick, a really shit party trick. <laughs> it's 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 awful, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. What sort of parties are you going to? The like? kind of parties where people watch Citizen Kane, apparently. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, tell you what. Tell you what. I'll that, make that's a deal. A I will make a deal right here and I right think now. You're about I'm to get some shit out, from the I'm listeners. Calling out Emma Thrower. I will sit down and I will watch Citizen Kane this week if she watches. All the Die Hard films. No, 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 no. Citizen Kane is at least a week long. I think that's fair. Nope. No, it's not. It's not at least a week long. It's not. It's actually quite short. If I can sit through no. Citizen Kane with a vengeance, <laughs> she can watch the first three Die Hard films. But A Good Day to Citizen Kane was the best one. The best one. The best one. Okay. The free or Kane hard. That's <laughs> and of course, uh, Citizen Kane, Kane harder. Uh, I'm looking forward to Citizen Kane year one. <laughs> Which you find a young, a young, a young Citizen Kane yeah. on the beat with his sled. <laughs> Oops, spoiler! Oh, that's the other thing. Oh. I know how it ends. You know how it ends, but you don't know everything else. No, you that's don't true. See, oh, that's true. Go and see that's it. True. No, I, I will. Look, I okay, will. okay, I will. You will watch. Yeah, we haven't even got on the week's question yet. No, you, you will watch. Yes. 
Citizen Kane. I will. Emma will watch Die Hard. There will yes. be no negotiation beyond that. There will be no Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3, although she should watch Die Hard 2 and Die Hard 3. But she should. Okay, that seems like a fair exchange. And I will watch all of Harry Kane's goals for Spurs. <laughs> How about that? I well, mean, it, yeah. The last it, one seems a little bit more pointless, but sure. Or we can move on Let's and move on. Uh, discuss this week's question, which comes in via email. Though we should reconvene next week, I think, and, and see where we all got to. Let's see this. where you are, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Here's the question. It's from email. Uh, oh, e- it's from email. Email has become sentient in the sending in questions. It's from Andrew Pegg. Uh, I wonder if he's any relation to Simon. He says, hello, guys. Long-time listener. What would be your dream five-second extra scene in a movie? Uh, this is Andrew Pegg talking. I've always wanted to be a creepy naked man with a large bush... Okay, Uh, or just an awesome death scene in a zombie movie. A creepy naked guy with a is this is this (laughs) someone to a movie, or is this one of the characters that was cut out of the original draft of Friends? Um, (laughs) Yeah, he wants to be a creepy naked man with a large bush. Now he doesn't specify whether that's referring to his pubis or whether it's referring to (laughs) just a man carrying foliage around with him. Who would you be? I would quite like to be. In Jurassic World, as Edmund, as Edmund, <laughs> Edmund's yes. best friend, as, 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 as Jedmund, 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 John and Edmund, Edmund. together they become Jedmund. <laughs> so what you're saying is, and the backstory, Nick, I'm sure has talked about this on the podcast. That was yes. Edmund was there to meet a date. Turns uh-huh. out that date was John. <laughs> That's right. No gender was ever mentioned. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yes, uh, your your Edmund's date, Jedmund. There could be a spin-off series. <laughs> Jurassic World, a love story. That'd be be amazing. (laughs) Who would I be? Well, my favourite extra is probably the kid who plays Vern Brown in Back to the Future Part 3. You know the one, don't you? It comes up, if you lists of, of extras, he tends to be quite famous. The little kid who plays uh, Emmett's youngest son is quite clearly seen on the train, kind of gurning at the camera, pointing at his crotch and gesturing for help. Clearly the the actor needed a wee. Um, (laughs) I don't think he did. You think it's, it's... he has a malevolent look in his face. Have you seen this? He's being a bit. Have you seen it in slow motion? It's he is taking real relish in pointing out his uh, his area. Uh, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Because there's, there's the um, famously there's that uh, that girl at the end of Team Wolf as well. Do you remember this? There's an extra at the end of Team Wolf during the the basketball scene, and she stands up and she's applauding, and she realizes her trousers are basically undone and her pants are showing, and then there's this really awkward thing where she casually tries to hide it with a jumper and it all gets a bit awkward before they cut away. Am I the only one who watches for this stuff? Are you sure about that? Yeah. I, th- I thought the Teen Wolf legend was a guy who literally runs down the steps of the uh, of the uh, the stands with his uh, lad hanging out. I, that I'm not aware of. Are you sure this wasn't like a dream? It may have been a dream. Uh, no, the, the pant girl is definitely true. You can you can, you can can Google that. So you um, want to be... I don't, I want, don't want to be pant girl. If I had to pick one, if I could be an extra, I would be one of Dan Hedaya's goons in Commando. Uh, you know, the ones <laughs> that, that Schwarzenegger just ploughs through, where there's actually about nine of them, and they just stick on like a fake moustache and come running back so Arnie can throw a circular saw through their head. Yeah, like um, the same guy gets killed about 12 that's times. That's right, yeah. I think that would be amazing. I'd like to do that. Just with different wigs and different tashes. Yeah. You'd like to be the guy who gets scalped? Yes, in the shed, in the shed yeah. Yeah. That'd shed be, scalper. That'd be pretty interesting. You'd want to have, because if, you know, if you have to specify, if it's five seconds, if you're in a movie for five seconds, that's not a lot of time to make an impact. So you have to really think about what you want to do. So I want, I'd want to have dialogue. 
Oh, but if you have dialogue, you're, you're not, not an extra. You're not an extra. No, you're a featured you can, extra. You're a bit popular. Yeah, like, that's true. Or you're a, an actor. Union you get rules. paid more, don't mm. you? I think I think you would be you, you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you had me on your movie set didn't give me lines. Frankly, you know, quite frankly, I think it would be. Um, if you, but hey, if you want to make a bad movie, I feel like you're talking to listening film directors here, Chris. I'm just saying on future set visits. I'm just saying, guys. You know, next time I'm on, just throw the camera at me and let the magic happen. <laughs> we should insist upon this now. Nick's raised the bar. I think yeah. now, when we visit a film set, we should be in the film. This should happen. I was nearly in Hitman. Actually, true. <laughs> really, I was, I was nearly in Hitman. This is actually a true story. I was on set of Hitman, and the director thought it'd be really, really cool if because they were doing a scene. Um, Timothy Oliphant wasn't actually. They were doing sort of second unit stuff. Uh, and there's a sequence where he's in the back of a car and it's bombing through, as it happens, Sofia in Bulgaria. And they thought because I was bald, they could stick me in the back <laughs> of the car as a kind of stunt hitman. It would be really funny. And he was really up for it. And then someone came over and just sort of shook the head and said things like insurance and liability <laughs> and fuck off. And they wouldn't let me do it. I was wow. really disappointed. I've never made that connection, but you do look a little bit like a shit hitman. Yeah. A, a shitman. A shitman. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's a, you know, there was a video, the new hitman game came out the other week and there was a, a kind of viral video that went of around the Chuckle Brothers. of the Chuckle oh. Brothers uh, of the Chuckle Brothers controlling a hitman yeah. yeah and so many people emailed me to say oh my god you kept this quiet including Annie Plum uh, to say I didn't realise you were in because everyone just thought it was me apparently it, that bald person looks much the same as every other bald person and it looked like it's me. true I'm a baldist because I, I have seen Many bald people and in and around the me. offices and assumed they were you. I had, <laughs> I had conversations with them and imparted my deepest personal secrets to them, uh, even lent them some cash occasionally. And uh, because, as you know, James is always asking people for cash. James, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm, I, wasn't <laughs> I was just walking past you, inviting me onto the podcast. I don't know I'm Harold. I don't know anything about this, James. <laughs> I'm Colin from accounting. <laughs> um, that's that's uh, that's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah. um, I guess you know, obviously I've I've been an extra in a movie Hostel Part 2 yes Drunk mm. British Slob Drunk British Slob uh, I was cut out of Hostel where I was again Literally. a Drunk British Slob well that's the thing because um, when I went on Hostel Part 2 there was um, Eli had some Eli Roth at some point had said oh hey it'd be fun to kill you as well so like, maybe later we you know but, uh, but it didn't work out so maybe later you know we'll see your dead body in the in the hostel bit uh, so if anyone ever wanted to make that connection they can make it but it didn't happen but yeah I, I, I was cut out of hostel where I, again I was a drunk British slob with the two of the film's producers and we were swaying drunkenly up a street now gone completely I think we were digitally erased from the film we were so bad um, <laughs> which is amazing and then Nick and I went along to the set of a film called Blitz Starred the, the oh, state and Paddy yeah. Constein and uh, Aidan Gillen and David Morrissey, and we, along with a group of other journalists, took part in a scene where we played journalists uh, asking questions of David Morrissey's uh, s- sort of snidey, sneering politician. Was that a really difficult part to kind of get your head around? It was tricky because you know one one lead journalist really got into it. She was like, yeah, you know, she was asking proper questions. What does this mean for the you know the she was Irish? Uh, what does this mean for the the you know the your character you know? And she was trying to get in properly getting lines. And Nick and I going, what attracted you to the movie? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what's it like working with Steven Spielberg? You know, it was so we got cut out completely yet again. <laughs> It's amazing. So what I'm saying is, when I'm on a film set, just point the camera at me, let the magic happen, and then just cut it out completely. Yeah. Um, but you'd, you'd want dialogue, I think. You would really want dialogue. Mm. If, I, if I was a waiter, I'd want to say something like, your order, Mr. Bourne. <laughs> something like that. And then turn to camera. And wink. <laughs> you have to turn to camera and wink. 
It's... I think this is why you're getting cut out of movies, Chris. <laughs> you keep looking at the camera and winking. <laughs> it's actually really tricky because the I got told off for that by an angry uh, Czech uh, first AD on Hostel Part 2 because I was looking at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you would think the first rule of being an extra. Actually, well, I thought, you know, I, I was predating Deadpool. I thought, is this really fun if I break the fourth wall and let people know I'm in a movie? No, just don't look at the camera. You, you just look at the idiot. camera and just say, hello, pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. <laughs> Bangly bang. <laughs> Bangly bang. Uh, yeah. I, see, I was looking at this question and thinking, what films would I like to be in? Like, what crowd scenes in films would I like to be in? You know, like, I'd love to be a Bond henchman, an anonymous Bond henchman, and I don't know, because I just wanted to be in the volcano and you only live twice and just sort of march around a bit. But wouldn't you want a moment? Wouldn't you want, like, a featured moment where a Bond... Nah, not really. Be a a, a, a Dark Knight henchman. Do you remember um, in uh, uh, It's the Dark Knight Rises, there's that fight on the rooftop, Catwoman's there, and there's that amazing extra who runs up to the sort of fracas, goes into a fighting stance, waves his arms, and then falls over. Because <laughs> I think he got a bit confused about... And it's in the it's in the final cut of the film. It's genius. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you just need to be an extra that people draw attention to. You need to be the stormtrooper pumping his head. Yes. Yeah. Or the, uh, the, the guy sweeping thin air in Skyfall. You need, you know, something to, to mark you out from the crowd. So yeah. when, when BuzzFeed do a list of the 25 weirdest extras of all time, that you're on the list. That's what, that's what you need. The guy who serves Jason Bourne some food and then turns the camera and winks. And goes bangly bang. <laughs> goes bangly bang and then leaves. In fact, we could probably get the bangly bang cinematic universe going. If I can appear in enough films, look at the camera, wink, say bangly bang, and then leave, we could connect all these movies together. Are they all taking place in the same universe? That's... That's the ambitious thing I'm going to throw out there now. So, Hollywood, you need to make this happen. Frankly, if that doesn't happen in Citizen Kane, I'm turning the fucker off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right, we've ruined that question. If you want to have a question read out in the Empire Podcast, uh, do send it in. Why the hell would you have to that, frankly? If you do want to have a question read out in the Empire Podcast, then do send it in uh, via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can use Facebook as well. No one ever does. No one ever sends questions in via Facebook. So I'll email and Twitter. No one gets on Facebook. Is it that they don't or that we never read them? No, we read them. Probably. Uh, or you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. And again, if you have any Batman v Superman uh, Donald Justice uh, questions, send them in to that same email address. Don't tweet them because we don't want spoilers going out there on the internet. Be good. Be good. Uh, right. Uh, time for some lovely movie news. It's been an interesting week. Let's start with shall we, a Sunday. Sunday's events, because the Jemison Empire Awards 2016 took place at the Grosvenor House Hotel in London uh, with an all-star lineup, uh, And uh, it, was a, it was a good night. It was a, it was a fantastic night. It was, a good, was night. a good night. Yeah. I'm still recovering, quite frankly. I just haven't caught up in my sleep. Yeah, Monday wasn't the most productive day in the Empire office, but uh, no, it was, it, it, was a, it was a very good night. I enjoyed it, it a was. lot. Um, for what I saw of it when I wasn't in the back room sorting out all the pictures on the website but um, I heard it sounded great yeah. and uh, we had the live periscope which I was tuned into from my little back room we did yeah we yeah. did with the live periscope I did 
some live streaming interviews on Periscope. We decided to, to do something different this year. Sometimes we've done YouTube mm. streaming for the last couple of years. Um, someone complained on my Twitter feed that that was unfair to people who didn't have YouTube. We just decided to do something different this year. Um, maybe we won't do it again. Maybe we will. Uh, but Periscope, for the most part, I think was was fun. It was good. It was nice getting people's comments in. I like the fact that it alerts you when they start and stop. I just think it's a fun thing. And if you're on Twitter, you're kind of on Periscope by default. So, Yeah, yeah, kind of. So... Um, yeah, it was it was it was a fun fun night. Uh, you're right. The next day was the least productive day I think we've had. <laughs> People rolled in late. We mm. then went for a massive team curry. I felt really sorry for this week's uh, work experience guy, Luke. He got a free who, curry. He got a free curry, admittedly, but came in was confronted with a group of zombies. Yeah. Then everyone went to have a massive curry and then went home. Uh, right. So the the awards themselves. So the the big winner on the night, uh, to nobody's surprise, was Paul Blart World Cup Two, uh, which swept the board. No, uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which won five awards is five. that correct five yes. awards best sci-fi fantasy best director J.J. Abrams best director J.J. Abrams best male and female newcomers yep. for uh, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. what was the fifth uh, best Wookiee best Wookiee best visual effects best visual effects interesting photo four of course by the Empire Readers photo four by the great British public which is interesting because it means that you get some uh, interesting results. It's not just simply slavishly following in the steps of whatever the Golden Globes and the Oscars have doled out. So, for example, Leonardo DiCaprio did not complete his clean sweep. I'm sure he's gutted. Uh, but he didn't complete his clean sweep of uh, big shiny baubles. Matt Damon won Best Actor mm. instead for his role in The Martian. Um, and I like that. Yeah. I like that. Me too. Uh, I think he's fantastic in that film. Um, you know, it's essentially the same character as Leonardo DiCaprio's in The Revenant, just someone you'd like to spend time with. <laughs> yeah, as Johnny Pyle on this podcast a few weeks ago said, you know, he does an amazing job in that movie of, uh, like, pretending he's on Mars, you know. Like, Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio <laughs> yeah, doesn't have to do any pretending because he's really in that puddle. But Matt Damon isn't on Mars. And that's acting. No, that bit, is acting. The that is he, acting. The bit where he turns the camera, winks and says, I'm on Mars. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. He deserved it just for that. Uh, and also, Brie Larson didn't complete her clean sweep for Room. Alicia Vikander won Best Actress for The Danish Girl. Uh, and Best Film was The Revenant, which uh, mm. surprised me. I thought Star mm. Wars would sweep the board completely uh, yeah. when, with regards to that. But uh, it seems that The Revenant was very fresh in the memory of our readers, and so they, they went for that. That was, uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, best Actor, Best Actress we've covered. Uh, best Thriller was Spectre, which also won Best British Film. Mm. Uh, Sam Mendes uh, arrived to pick that one up. Best Comedy was Spy. And Peter Serafinovich turned up to pick that that award up uh, and then three days later was uh, announced as the tick in the new Amazon Prime pilot mm. didn't mention it to me on the live stream very angry very upset it's almost as if he wasn't ready to announce the, the news <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a fun night it was, was it was it was good to see Matt Damon there to accept his awards and mm-hmm. John Boyega and Daisy Ridley they kind of won the night didn't mm. they Daisy and John were sort Daisy of and like, John in the photo booth with BB-8 yeah very funny that got like a thousand retweets that sort of broke the internet a little bit we missed uh, last year. Of course, we had Henry Cavill throwing shapes till two a.m. on the yeah. dance floor. That was pretty epic. You don't get to dance with Superman all that often. Mm. Uh, he wasn't here this year, but uh, other than that, no, he was being punched by Ben Affleck. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's also good to see Stanley. You've got the Tooch Tucci take home the Empire Hero Awards. He certainly hasn't lost his Tooch. Yeah. Yeah. hasn't. I love the uh, Miranda, magic Tooch. Miranda Richardson's speech uh, introducing Stanley Tucci, who won the Empire Hero Award, uh, referenced the fact that we call him the Tooch. 
which I don't think Stanley Tucci himself is aware of. <laughs> he is now. I imagine not many people in, in his regular life refer to him as the Tooch, but uh, I think they should, quite yeah. frankly. Jason Statham knows we call him the Stath, though, right? Yeah. You've told yeah. him, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he knows. He's fully aware. Mm. Yeah. He's fully aware. In fact, we discussed it in this podcast when he was on the uh, on the pod. Uh, so who else won the big awards, the uh, the big special awards that are, are uh, determined by the Empire staff? So there was a very poignant moment, I think. The Empire Legend Award this year went to the late, great Alan Rickman, which I think was uh, entirely justified and mm. Mm. unanimous. The we were, for that was yeah. absolutely I think I think that was the biggest reaction of the night, to mm. be honest. People were really, like, genuinely moved by... Outpouring of love. Yeah. Alan. Love that, love that award. And then uh, the great Paddy Constantine won the Empire Inspiration Award mm. um, and was truly touched, I think, by the montage of his greatest roles that we'd put together. So mm. that, that was lovely to see. So a very, very good night. Looking forward to next year already. Thanks, Jamesons, for the whiskey. <laughs> uh, All right, what else has been happening in the world of movie news? <clears throat> We've had some trailers. Yes. There have been a number of trailers this week. Yes. A mm-hmm. number of trailers. Uh, not least of all, uh, Bridget Jones' Baby and, uh, and Shane Black's The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one mm-hmm. of those looks really, really good. <laughs> the other one is and Bridget Jones' Baby. It's Bridget Jones' um, Baby. I, I have to say, I was impressed by the Bridget Jones' Baby trailer. Well, I was impressed know. by his utter commitment to including not a single joke. <laughs> yes. Um, which I thought was was interesting. I liked the first film. I didn't like the second film. I think most people are, mm. are with me on that one. Uh, this brings back Sharon Maguire, the director of the first movie. Yes. It just feels a little bit... Redundant? Redundant, yeah. Mm. I don't think the world needs a third no, Bridget Jones movie. I, I don't think it does at all. I do wonder sometimes whether there's a, a gender divide here because there seems to be an awful lot of affection for that character, those books and those films, uh, predominantly among girls, women. Uh, but I, I've, I've never understood it. Never at all. I mean, the first, as you said, the first film, it's, it's quite good. I've even read the books and they're okay. But perhaps they just don't resonate with me in the same way. This trailer felt like it was of a different era, didn't it? It felt like it was mm. it felt quite dated. Yeah, like it's a sense it's a sense of humour that seems to have passed on now. Yeah, it's, and, we've moved past that, and yeah. the film hasn't updated itself. Yeah, the film is still stuck in that sort of late nineties, early noughties mm. sort of. I don't know. It just it didn't seem didn't seem to fit. But the nice guys trailer I thought was very very good. Yes, very, yes. very much looking forward very to that. Funny. Yes. <laughs> and that's great. What we have to say and, about um, that. <laughs> no, it does. It's great. It, it had a real sort of um, nice sort of kiss, kiss, bang, bang feel to it. I mean, I love Shane Black, and uh, this seems to be everything I love about Shane Black. Plus, it has you know Ryan the Baby Goose Gosling and Russell Crowe both on top form. <laughs> so, what's not to love? It has a baby goose and a crow. That's right, together at last. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. There was an interesting uh, bit of news that, that hit last week that Netflix, who are really stepping it up on the movie side, uh, have bought the new. Will Smith mm. David Ayer movie not for, Suicide Squad uh, <laughs> but another one called Bright which is written by Max Landis and they've bought Max Landis's spec script for three million dollars uh, which is one of the biggest spec script sales in, in years and I wonder actually if this is a really good thing for writers now that suddenly this, this new these new players on the block uh, Amazon Prime and Netflix and other people who are going to get involved in the movie game uh, might suddenly open the door for more spec scripts because obviously Netflix, Amazon Prime, companies like that don't have the intellectual properties that a Disney or a Paramount or a Sony or a Warner Brothers have. So they have to generate their own stuff. Mm. What's best to do? Look at the hottest new uh, screenplays by the hottest new writers. So I think that's a very, very good thing indeed. But I'm just fascinated that 
now we're at the point where over the next year or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, Netflix are going to drop the, a new Brad Pitt movie. It's not just Adam Sandler, you know, in that sort of weird comedy neighbourhood of his. Um, it's Brad Pitt, it's Angelina Jolie, it's Will Smith uh, and David Ayer, which would be a big thing for, for most studios, especially you'd imagine coming off the back of Suicide Squad, which looks like being a big hit. So, what do you think about that? I think... It is, as you said, I think it's a very good sign. Uh, It's interesting. I'm not sure what Netflix's long-term, you know, frankly, business plan looks like because they're spending a colossal sum of money uh, and their monthly fees are very, very reasonable. So you've got to worry, you've got to worry, you've got to wonder how their revenues sort of stack up against, you know, what it is they're spending all this stuff. I'm sure they have a master plan that includes world domination and sharks with freaking lasers on their heads. But, you know, until that materialises... I don't think they're going to run out of money anytime soon. No, they, I hope not. They've got a huge... Uh, like, they haven't really released how much money they're making, but mm. it's it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. And they, they are open internationally now. Like, they are open mm. in every virtually every country in the world. Uh, I'm more concerned, maybe, that uh, films are being released straight to VOD and not in cinemas. And this is maybe not a good thing for cinemas. I, you know, I still like seeing films on a big screen. I think films should be seen on a big screen first. There's also that stigma, isn't there, that you have a feeling that there's, like, the the phrase straight to video, Mm. straight to DVD. There is a sense that if a film doesn't get a theatrical release, it's just shit. Yeah. Or it appears in Kim's Video Dungeon. It tends to be the sort of the B-movies or the international movies that they don't expect to get much box office. And, uh, you know... That's the, yeah. There, there is a stigma, but then Netflix, I guess, are changing the paradigm of everything. They've changed television. Mm. They, you know, they're now changing films. I mean, their piece of donation was theirs. You know, there's really amazing quality stuff coming straight to streaming, and and it is shaking up everything. Mm. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this affects you know cinema attendance in in the long term. You know, uh, where it goes because obviously. Staying at home, watching Netflix, less than a tenner a month, and the cinema is increasingly a very expensive night out, especially if, you know, if you say you've got a family of four, you go to the cinema, that's a lot of money, even mm. before you get to the lovely, lovely popcorn and drinks. Um, but, you know, it would be a, it would be a very, very sad day indeed if people did, you know, sit in front of their flat screens instead. I don't think they will, but what I think this is, what I think is going to happen, movies like Batman, Superman, Civil War... Ghostbusters, all the blockbusters, they're going to continue. And I think, mm. you know, so many filmmakers recently have been lamenting the the absence, and I've lamented it as well, of the mid-range movie, the $40 million to $70 million thriller or drama. Okay, the whole of the 90s. The whole of the 90s, you know, what, you know Lincoln Lawyer is probably yep. the last film of that type that I can remember being made. Mm. Nowadays, the Lincoln lawyer, Mickey Holler, that character would now have his own TV show. He'd be, and he right. should be on Amazon Prime because he's Bosch's half brother. <laughs> so he should be able to flit in and out of the yeah. Bosch series and have his own Lincoln lawyer show that Bosch flits in and out of in the Michael Connolly televisual universe. That's all well and good, but the filmmakers have lamented the absence of movies like that for so long. And I think that Netflix and Amazon Prime and, um, There are other mini studios. I mean, I think Hulu are thinking about dipping Mm -hmm. their toes in the water. And at some point, Apple, you'd imagine, would would enter the game in a big way as well. Because they've got so much money lying around. I think I read their their reserves, their cash reserves are in the billions. I mean, it's it's Mm. insane. So you'd think that maybe they'll look at, oh, maybe we could make our own movies. I mean, we've got the editing software already. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Um, 
But I think we're going to see a resurgence of this. And it's interesting that the package for Bright, which is a police procedural in the David Ayer style, but just happens to be fantasy tinged, so it's, it's orc cops and things like that. We don't really know much more about it other than that the Max Landis has been tweeting pages from the script because that's what he does. Um, but that sounds interesting to me. But it's a $90 million package, but $45 million of that is for the film itself. The rest is for fees, and obviously Will Smith gets a, a fair chunk of change, as, as will David Ayer. But I think we're going to see a return of those movies. I think, you know, if this were Tommy Lee Jones in the 1990s, he'd be like, yes, thank thank you, please. Uh, I'll do double jeopardy, triple jeopardy, quadruple jeopardy. Ashley Judd would be high-fiving her people. This is amazing. Please bring it on. Uh, I think it's it's going to be awesome. We're going to see, hopefully, a resurgence of that. We can finally see Primal Fear 2. Yes, please. Uh, most of them are courtroom dramas for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. It's really expensive to build a courtroom set. Um, but I, I think I think it could ultimately be a good thing. But blockbusters will always thrive uh, because you will always need to go see a Batman Superman on yeah. the biggest mm-hmm. screen possible in Dolby Atmos, in IMAX, in 3D, whatever you want to do it. But also you're going to have um, a situation where, at the moment, cinema chains are stepping up to the plate in a big, big way as well. Uh, one of my greatest pleasures in life right now is going to... Uh, can we mention the cinema chain? Probably, yeah, yeah, I think Of course so. we can. It's Picture House. Same I love there. those guys. They yeah. are phenomenal. You go to any Picture House cinema up and down the land, and they are great. They're, they're well-staffed. They have bars. They have restaurants. Watching a film in a Picture House yeah. cinema, for the most part, because the, especially the ones that are built brand new, the one that's very close to where I live in London is great. I love going there. Whereas I don't necessarily love going to an older cinema chain, shall we say. I don't want to name that one, but one that maybe is going to seed slightly. But you have these new kids in the block, the Everyman and Picture House, who are slowly thinking, okay, this needs to be an experience. You need Mm -hmm. to go there. You need to have a meal there with your your wife, your family, your kids. You know, there'll be games and fun in the foyer and it's, it's just an awesome experience so I think I think that the, the cinema is here to stay it's like a restaurant you know you don't just go to the restaurant for the food True. like if you went to a restaurant and the food was really good but the, the carpets were sticky and all the waiters were just like spotty teenagers who didn't want to be there then you wouldn't want to go you know and yeah, it's just like no, it's true it's the, it's the whole package it's not just what you're watching on, on screen so it's yeah true. is there any more new movie news to talk about I've got some news uh, David Kep yes. is writing Indiana Jones 5. David Kep, who apparently wrote some <laughs> internet fan fiction called Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or something. I've never heard of it. I don't know. Never heard of it. Don't know anything about it. But yeah. um, he he is being re-recruited to write a new Indiana Jones movie. Uh, I feel a tremor in the force. It's like millions of voices cried out in terror. I mean... I mean <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, this is one of those things where you. I mean, we 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 would. I mean, the thought of having another, uh, of finally getting a fourth Indiana Jones film is very very exciting to me. And uh, you know, should we, should we keep this up? <laughs> really? But uh, you know, and and no one wants to see this film more than I do. But it, yeah, it 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 makes you worry a little bit, a little bit. But then, you know, maybe he's learned. You know, maybe he has learned from his mistakes. Uh, He has seen what did and, in fact, did not uh, work about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And he's going to bring his A-game to this, having made those things. See, I'm I'm still optimistic for this film. I think, because this is a film under Disney. It's the first indie film under Disney. And I have a feeling, you know, they're going to have a Force Awakens approach where they Uh scrub the mistakes of the past and bring on a new era. Uh, I'd like to think that that's what's going to happen. It might not, but 
I think they paid four billion dollars for Lucasfilm, and they have every intention yeah. of doing right by this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what? What? I mean, could they do in many ways what JJ Abrams did with the Force Awakens, which is take essentially all the best bits of Raiders and try and you know recapture that magic? Do a remake I mean, for the first one, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, quite. But you know, do you know what I mean? Like, make it more referential. Make take it back to what we loved about about the first film in that mm. series. You know, rather than trying to sort of build onto the end of it i mean certainly that's the approach i'd like to see them take obviously you know harrison isn't as young as he once was but i'm sure they'll you know work around it i'm excited about this film i think harrison ford would be great in the role he seemed very excited about it if you saw his appearance in jimmy kimmel he seemed genuinely engaged mm. to play all his old characters again to be discussed last week um but yeah david kep you know he is a very good writer and an interesting director, although his last two movies as director were Mordecai and Premium Rush, <laughs> um, which I, I like Premium Rush, but I like Premium Rush. Yeah, Mordecai but, as a, as a credited writer, because I'm sure he's a, he's a script, a script doctor who gets uncredited on loads and loads of movies. I think he kind of almost peaked when he uh, really first came on the scene. Uh, 1993, in particular, the double whammy of Jurassic Park and Carlito's Way. I mean, it doesn't get a lot better than that really um, obviously over the years he's written The Story of a Mission Impossible um, The Lost World Jurassic Park Spider-Man the, f- the screenplay for the very first Spider-Man movie he wrote War of the Worlds uh, co-wrote Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull which um, oh, that is a film um, so you know he's a very very good very very solid writer and clearly one of Spielberg's go-to guys I'm not saying everything that's problematic about Crystal Skull is David Kep's doing. You know, there were numerous writers on that screenplay, including, you know, obviously Frank Darabont at, at certain points. And I also wonder about George Lucas's influence in that movie. George Lucas, I believe, will not be involved in this one at all, making it the first, not only the first Star Wars film that he's, he's not involved with that anymore. He won't be involved with Indiana Jones, his co-creation. So it's, um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this shapes up without George Lucas's influence. Mm. Um, so fingers crossed because uh, Kep is a good writer and I hope he can rediscover the, the magic of that one-two punch of Carlitos Park in Jurassic Way that'd be amazing uh, right should we have a guest let's have a yes. guest let's have a guest as we enter a fourth hour of this week's podcast um, <laughs> our guest this week is appearing on the pod for the second time he is such fun that he is always welcome back uh, he's an actor he's a raconteur he's a voiceover artist he's the voice of the McDonald's adverts you know that? Did you know that? I didn't know that. And oh, there you go. Uh, now you do. Uh, he's the owner of the best hair in the business, and of course, he's been a director for for a short while now with uh, Wild Bill and Sunshine and Leith, and now this week's Eddie the Eagle, which stars Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman, and tells the story of the great British Olympian Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Uh, in the movie's a lot of fun, as indeed is Dexter Fletcher. Enjoy. Hello, Chris. <laughs> I got you. I can hear you. Hello. Empire Podcasts. <laughs> I might get you in to just do voiceovers for the podcast. The podcast. Generally speaking. From Empire. <laughs> you thought you knew podcasts, but this is the real deal. <laughs> do you do a lot of voiceover work these days? No, I do one own, one only, McDonald's. McDonald's, you're the voice of McDonald's. It can be, um, yep, can do, can be the voice of McDonald's, has what, been known. What does that mean for you? Do you get free McDonald's wherever you go? Is well, that, wouldn't that be ideal? Nice heavenly, wouldn't that be heavenly? <laughs> just to have free McDonald's wherever you went, 
Uh, just to make you really fat. Uh, no, I don't get free McDonald's wherever I go. I just get the respect and adulation of my peers, <laughs> which is all I want, really. That's not bad. So um, we're talking here on Thursday afternoon. The film comes out Easter Monday. Now. Yes. Uh, is that Easter Monday? Easter Monday, yeah. That's yeah. a good time for it to come out, I think. I think so, absolutely. Yeah, families uh, can go. It's a resurrection tale. It's, uh, <laughs> that's right, it's a tale <laughs> of resurrection. <laughs> more good, certainly for Eddie. Do you get nervous? In this build, in this time, this build. Up. Um, I I suppose I don't know if you get nervous. I mean, it's interesting because as it opens at different places around the globe, and you sort of follow it round. Yeah, and of course, with these things, you suddenly learn that there's all this kind of expectation hung on it. Yeah, that um, maybe you don't always consider when you're making the film. But as of course, you get to the point of delivery, which is where we're at. Yeah, yeah, where the film's made and. And now suddenly everyone's, you know, there's posters on buses and, and resources and time and money are being plied into, piled into, you know, the the awareness of it, you know, making people know it's out there. Then, yeah, you start going, oh, of course, there's a complete other part of the machine that really is the, is the filmmaker you're not, I'm not aware of as yet. Maybe if I had more of an eye on that when I was making the film, I don't know if it would help. But uh, marketing is such a huge part of it. But yeah, yeah. I suppose there's a, yeah, there was a sort of, you know, nervous about Nervous is because there's nothing you could do. You know, you, all you could do is yeah. get out and say to people and, and, and sort of bang the drum and hope that the that the message gets out there and the marketing is the right kind of marketing to make people go, oh, right, I want to go see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's for me. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, when you've got something like with Eddie that's kind of really got broad appeal, I think it has, do you know what I mean? Not in any yeah. sort of kind of trite way, but it has. It's, it, it, you know, kids do love it. They enjoy his kind of antics and, you know, the kind of childlike qualities that he's had. But similarly, you know, adults enjoy it because it's the story of a true story of a guy endeavouring to just achieve, you know, his dream of going to the Olympics. And, mm. and he's quite a, you know, Taron's a brilliant actor and Jackman's great and they're... There's, there is stuff in it for everyone. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just. I'm sort of selling it now. But um, <laughs> uh, was, yeah, it's for five and a hundred and five. Yeah. Do you have any plans for Monday? Are you going to go to the cinemas to watch uh, it, or are you going to, uh, mm. you know, see Steven Spielberg and George Lucas when uh, Indiana Jones yeah. came out? They they took themselves off to Hawaii to a beach and tried yeah. to get as far away from the whole box office reports and how's it doing and right. all that malarkey. Yeah, because Indiana Jones was really probably going to, you know was really any doubt about whether that was going to take <laughs> well, he, off or not. He'd just come off 1941. He'd just had the biggest stinker of his career. He wasn't. Yeah, but when you sit and you watch 1941, <laughs> you sit in that dark room and you go, you know what, well, maybe this is not quite works. When you watch Indiana Jones, even if you're sitting alone, you go, I think we might be onto something. Yeah, yeah. Harrison sure. Ford's really got something going on. Yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of intriguing, you know. That's... Uh, <laughs> But do you know what I mean? I mean, I I understand how they might have, you know, told this story of how they went off to the... I suspect they would have been like, right, time for a cigar and a Mai Tai. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go sit on the beach and chill out because that's going to storm it. I don't know. I mean, I mean you know, it's... <laughs> they're great filmmakers, aren't they? I mean, I, I think you could watch... I mean, but look, on the same token, I sit and I watch Eddie and I think it's a good film. I suppose I have to, mm. I do, but I've made mm. the best film that I think I can make. You know, yeah, yeah. I made a film that I believe is genuinely entertaining. And, yeah. It's got a lot of heart. I think that's the heart. So the, film, the film's produced by Matthew Fawn, who um, asked you, I mean, you worked with him years ago as an actor on Lockstock. And 
Yeah. I, you, you stayed in touch, I guess, over the years, and he's been trying. I, has he been really trying to get you to, to direct something for, for um, a while? Is that? I, yeah, I don't know. He's, I mean, we always talked about it. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, and uh, I mean, he always gives me a job as an actor. He always mm. auditions me. I mean, he's worked me millions of times, but he always makes me audition. No matter what it is, if I walk on carrying a plank of wood, he'll make me audition for it because it, it amuses him. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> And so, yeah, and we'd always talk about that. Once I did Wild Bill, which yeah. was my first film, yeah. and which he was really complimentary about. He was really supportive about it. I mean, he, he had offered me at that time a part in X-Men, mm-hmm. but I, I turned it down in order to direct Wild Bill, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's not a, that's a problem, but, but that's what I did. And then um, he, uh, yeah, he was really kind about Wild Bill. He really liked it. And he and it brought to notice uh, him, my cinematographer, the guy I, I worked with, George Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who uh, also shot Sunshine on Leith, which is my next film. Um, uh, but then he went off and did Kingsman, because then while we were doing Sunshine on Leith, uh, Vaughn was telling me, "Come, tell me about George Richmond. Tell me about George Richmond." Oh, and I knew that I'd get on well. I just knowing them both, I just knew that George was serious enough and hungry enough. Mm. you know, as mm. a DOP and experienced enough to be able to handle Matthew's very exacting kind of perfectionism that yeah, yeah. that he has and the way he works. And um, and that's obviously his key. It's really important when you've got someone of Matthew's level uh, and George as well. So I was very pleased with that, really, that mm. they they they, uh, they found a great working relationship there as well. Mm. Um, but uh, I think Matthew just... When he read Eddie and he put it together and he thought he talked to Taron and thought about Taron and the material and the way that he felt that it could be approached with my other films with Wild Bill, you know, Bill's a sweet film. It's got an edge to it. You know, mm, it's, yeah, not, it does, yeah. it's not all roses in the garden. And then, and then Sunshine and Leith has got a little little spike in it as well. It's got Mullen in it being quite dark and yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. um, I think he just thought that. That I was the right guy for that material, and and um, and, and and so we just put it together. It wasn't like I must find something to do with Dexter. We must do something. Oh, we said, yeah, yeah, we should okay. do something. I'd be like, yeah, that'd be great, Matthew. But it's just when that right thing came, yeah, he very shrewdly put together that combination of myself and Taron and Hugh, yeah, yeah, and let that run. You know, I asked, I once asked Matthew Vaughan a question because he's five films in as a director. He's about to make his sixth. Yeah. Obviously, he started out as a producer, and I asked him, does he now, on Kingsman, feel like he can actually call himself a director? Now you're three films in, mm. having been an actor, now you're a director. Do you do you think of yourself still as an actor, first and foremost, or are you now Dexter Fletcher director? Hmm. Um, I guess I'm a bit of a crossroads, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, suppose, I don't want to get too profound on no, this. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a valid question. I suppose, I don't know. The answer. I mean, yeah. I would do actually if people ask me, and there's obviously there's that knee jerk reaction as soon as anyone says, "Oh, there's this part that they're talking to you about playing." You know, the actor in me goes, "Yeah, hey, come on, work, get out there, do it." That's you know, that's that's like your, your default position as an actor. It's mm. kind of like, how do I get my next job? How do I find my next gig? Because mm. it's few, it can be few and far between, and and there's no guarantees. And but whereas with directing, it's a completely different set of criteria it's you know finding that material finding that stuff that you really feel that you've got a vision for and you can tell a story for but so i suppose i'm not i can i can sort of comfortably ish wear two hats yeah you yeah. know i mean I, I remember when i worked with bob hoskins when he was directing and he had a hat 
that he would wear on set and it, and on one side it said directing and then he'd turn it around and on the other side it said acting because he was <laughs> acting in it as well. Do you foster the atmosphere on set that you've always wanted to have on set? Because having been a set of Eddie, I mean, mm. you, you chew up the crew, you chew up the actors, yeah. you keep things light, you keep things yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose so. I just That's the way I do it. I mean, everyone yeah. does it differently. That's just the, the the way that I feel the machine works well. That's where it feels like that's where I'm getting the best out of everyone. And uh, and that's what I'm I'm interested in doing. I'm interested in everyone feeling like they're having the opportunity to do their best and they were all part of something good. I believe there's magic in it, sort of naively or not. Do you know, because I suppose because I come from as being a kid on the set, that has always felt kind of wonderful and magical to me. Mm. And not in magic like magic, magic, being Harry Potter magic, <laughs> just like, oh, this is a great moment, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I do sort of count it as a huge blessing that, that, w- that we get to make films. Yeah. Um. And I think it does, it seems to be, you know, in the three films I've done, it does play a part in it somehow. It does translate, it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. The more I, the more I direct, you know, three films I've directed, it feels like that that, that feeling of accomplishment or, or, or fun is there on the screen, to, to, is part of the genetics of the film, if you yeah, like. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's important. That's really good if you can communicate that. I mean, it's just, I suppose if I do a really heavyweight, morose drama I'll have to you know treat everyone like complete shit every day and it's, like, <laughs> it's gonna be really morose and they were like you know oh my god not another day so the whole film's like oh my god make it end <laughs> just, just think of the Oscars though yeah exactly I'll have clutches of Oscars to take home <laughs> thank you this is all the people I made incredibly unhappy <laughs> that would be that would be amazing do you, do you know what you're doing next have you thought about that yet uh, I'm looking at two or three different things. I'm not. I'm not. Definitely fell on any one thing yet. There's, okay. there's interesting things. It's great because Eddie has opened up all sorts of different doors. Really, in a way, in America, it has uh, because the film got a wide release there and mm. did relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Fox, and they're very nice to me. Fox, Fox seem to think I'm okay, which is always very gratifying. Um, and there's some discussions about things there that could could be. Interesting. Okay. Uh, similarly, back home here as well, you know, uh, um, yeah, there's, there's stuff. I, I just got to, yeah, I got to make a decision and I'm just sort of wavering. So I'm a bit like a kid in a candy store. Mm. I'm a bit like a guy who's gone into a restaurant and ordered everything on the menu. <laughs> and now I've got to decide what I want to eat, which is a really good position to be in. It's not bad. But some things I've actually, oh, I don't like courgettes. <laughs> take the courgettes out. Yeah, take the courgettes. You know, it's kind of a bit like that. I, I you yeah. know, I know. I'm very like, but I haven't. I haven't actually. People have tried to push me to make a decision. And I'm like, <laughs> I've got something with Matthew. I'd love to do next. Uh-huh. That's something that he and I have got. It's a script that he's had for many, many years that he's never really found a way of doing. And I think I know a way of doing it. I just got to convince him that. Oh right, he should okay. let me run with that. Interesting. Which is which is interesting. Um, and. I've been talking to the guys at DNA who I did Sunshine on Leaf with about an idea um, about Cat Weasel. Oh, okay. I should, I should say it, but Interesting. it doesn't matter. Okay. But okay. you remember Cat Weasel. I remember Cat Weasel. Some people will, some people won't, some people are freaked out by him. Yeah. But I rather like the idea of it. I think there could be something really kind of intriguing okay. about just doing something unexpected again, you know? Yeah. Doing something like, 
Well, real magic. Real magic. Real magic. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. someone who's really bad at it. I <laughs> 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 like the idea is he, he can do it, it just never really turns out how he kind of hopes it would do or expects it to. Oh, man, that would, that would, be, that would be interesting. See, see what happens Watch in that arena. Space. Watch yes, this space. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. So, do you, you, you mentioned a short film you did with Bob Hoskins. I mean, yeah. so at what point did you start to have your eye on directing? You know, like was it like when footballers start to look towards coaching and they get their coaching qualifications? <laughs> so. Were you looking at that like one day I'll direct, so I'll do the short film? And no, I think no, I think I was quite wary of it. I think I, I, it was, if I'm honest, it was really around the time I got to know Jamie Oliver. Okay, it was a few years back now because he's just he was just like, you know, I just had a mate who came, a friend who came into my life who was just it was like, he just believes anything's possible. It's like, <laughs> any, you know, any idea he gets in his head, he kind of goes off and implements it, you know. Uh-huh. Right? And he came round to my house once and um when I first got to know him and he was he was uh standing about and he's like, I've had this idea for this cooking thing. I want to teach one two people to cook this meal, just a recipe, and then I want them to go away and teach two other people how to cook that meal. And then they've got to go away and teach two other people and eventually all this whole town will know how to cook this one really healthy recipe. And it might sort of fire them up and get them going to learn how to cook other recipes but you've got to go and teach two other people that's the part of the deal I'm like okay and then you know like six months later I was sitting there watching that show on television yeah <laughs> and, 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 and he had a whole town of people he was making this gargantuan effort to yeah. to get people to change you know their diet for something healthier but also teach them something and do and I was like this guy's amazing yeah. You know, because I remember he stood on my balcony and talked about that. He said, I just had this idea. I mean, it was, you know, that. That's And that's so simple. I saw it, it was, yeah. And, yeah. and he, But he made it that simple. Of course, it's not that easy. But Of course not, absolutely. Because it's, it's interesting. Cause again, we, we did a, a Q&A the other day at BAFTA. And you said something about Hugh's character in this movie, which I thought was, was uh, interesting. You said about Bronson Peary is a man who has regrets in his life mm. and regrets about the way his career went mm. and you intimated that that was something that you connected with mm. on a on a personal level so so I mean, you've had this amazing career but do you still mm. look back at it and think if only you know there were things that I wish I'd done or things I wish I hadn't done is that something I think it's done? more things I wish I hadn't done okay uh, more than things I wish I had I mean I did there's plenty of good things that I'm really proud of that I did you know yeah. that I had the opportunity to do but then of course when you do sort of Lose your way, which is what I did. I suppose is why I, I, I relate to Brunson Peary's character. You know, someone who has all the talent and ability and opportunity, but squanders it. And mm. and, and I, you know, and I, and I definitely related to that. You know, I, I know from working with David Lynch when you're 14 on The Elephant Man mm. to presenting Games Master by the time you're 25 is a is a rapid descent in my book. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It means that your choices are obviously somewhat flawed along the line because, <laughs> you know, I would have been better off not doing that. As much yeah. as many people love that show, yeah. in terms of an acting career, it wasn't the greatest choice. Did you feel that at the time? Did you know No, I was just desperate for money at the time. Yeah. You know, I was just, I was, you know, I had a house that I couldn't afford to pay for and I had three cars and loads of mates hanging on around my neck and I like to smoke a lot of weed and... <laughs> God knows why. I hate it now. Um, uh, you know, and various other substances as well mm. that, you know, burn up money like, you know, mm. there's no tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, you, 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 you know, your judgment's just screwed. Um, and, you know, it's taken me sort of 25 years to even get back on a, you know, to get to where I am now. You know, it's sort of, it is, it's, a, it's a tough one. But 
I think that's why I'm talking about that with Bronson Peary's character. Obviously, we don't. It's not as heavy handedly no, heavy handed as not. that in the film. He's a guy with a bit of a drink problem, and he's a bit of a rogue, and he's got a glint in his eye, and you love him. You know, that's if I, if I could have navigated it like that, fantastic. Maybe I'd still be out now getting smashed. Just tether yourself to a, a, you know, a lovable hopeful. That's yeah, what you, that's exactly. What you can do. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've done the same thing with Matthew Vaughan. He's my lovable hopeful. <laughs> He's going to do all right with me sticking by him. Going off the 90 metres together. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, look, it's but it's just one of those one of those things. I still did, I, I had some amazing experiences in that time. I did, yeah. you know, it all goes into making me. It's good because it means I, I have those stories and I can relate to them. I, or hopefully I've got something to say about it or I understand them. So when I sit down with Hugh Jack, when I'm like, I kind of get this. And he's like, oh, yeah, and I can talk about it in a way that humanises it. Mm. Um which is what's important, you know, for the yeah. actors is that you f- they find a way in, yeah, yeah, and 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 that Jackman knows what it is that I'm trying to make this guy fucking untangle, which mm. is oh shit, oh, this guy's a Eddie's a complete numbskull, you know, he's got no talent, he's got all this drive and energy and passion, mm. which if I had a tenth of that, maybe I would be at the Olympics as well, and that's like a really big thing for him just to be navigating in a scene that's just seemingly about. You know, don't go there and make a fool of yourself. It, it, it drives it, it kind of animates it and, yeah, and yeah, brings yeah. it alive in a, in a really interesting way. So, uh, Eddie, the Eddie you just described there seems a lot like the uh, Jamie Oliver you just described as well. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's a guy who did, so, basically went to the, he said, I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah. And went to the Olympics. And he was there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that seems, uh, yeah. <laughs> the power of self confidence and just well, belief. That's in, that self belief is what, I know, that's the other thing that I so admire. Yeah. I think it's, and, and that's what I was saying about, you know, I didn't think about directing until I had the right sort of set of ingredients in my life, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, that allowed me to go, oh, yeah, I can do this. And when once I'd done it, I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? But I'd already took the step. I'd already made the leap. You know, I'd handed the script to a producer and they went, oh, and you're directing it. And I mm. just went, yeah, because I, you know, thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. If they think <laughs> I'm going to direct it, if that helps <laughs> it get made, I'll do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, you know what I mean? You make these leaps. And that's like Eddie said, every time he makes a jump, he's terrified every time he does it because he knows what can happen. Yeah. He can hurt himself. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, he did <laughs> hurt himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's, it's not lost on him what he's doing. No, absolutely. But you've got to take that leap. You know? you There's so many it. wonderful metaphors in this film for life. It's, it's chock full. It's chock full. How do you, uh, how do you direct Chris Walken? Huh. <laughs> with a sharp stick from yeah. a great distance you, know, you prod him does he give you five takes and the pauses are in different yeah the pauses are in different places yeah. no look the great thing is about it is, look, you know he understands what's going on when he turns up for his two days he knows what is what's required of him it's not you know he wants to get into the dialogue he wants to get into discussion about what it is but he, he knows he understands you know the, the reason why someone like Chris Morgan is a star is because he's a great actor and if he's a great actor, he's going to come with his bag and he's going to be able to open it up for you and deliver all the tools that yeah. that you would need. You know, it's like, I need this to really land with you. I need you to really make him feel this moment of being told he's he's all right. Yeah. And it, I, I don't even need to say that to him, really. He knows that. And he does. He stands in front of Jackman and he and he's that's what he's doing. He's making Jackman go... Uh, because he he knows that that's what that moment requires, and that's how why for me it works that that little that five word scene. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, but at the same time, I you know I was talking to him about another part of the film that actually got cut. There was another character comes in, and 
And she's like, come on, let's go have some dinner. He's like, oh, okay, dinner. And he's, he's like, I got a wedding ring. They gave me a wedding ring. And I was like, oh, shit, have they? He's like, yeah, I got a wife. I was like, right. He goes, it's okay, I'm fucking her over. <laughs> <laughs> go, Amazing. Yeah, that's why, right, Chris. Uh, this character is cheating on his wife with his own German woman. Okay, I'm this, down. I'm no yeah, problem. Yeah. This is a character that uh, the Hugh Jackman's character is looking up to, but he's just fucking around with someone else. That's well, awesome. that's why yeah. I cut it out with yeah. me because it, it, you know, it was wrong. It was kind yeah. of like, hang on a minute, he's just come and just like done this great. Redemptive thing, and now he's running off with that bird to go and have dinner. She's like, she's like a real man eater, and he's like, all right, dinner. You know, he really played it well. It's a great moment, but you look at you go, yeah, that's not actually the right tone to leave <laughs> yeah, that yeah. character on. Uh, Dexter Fletcher, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. Thank you, always. mate. Yeah, pleasure. Good fun. Cheers, thank you. Good old Dex. I say that because I haven't actually done the interview uh, yet. That's happening after we record the podcast. I hope he hasn't stormed out <laughs> in a rage. I hope one of my questions doesn't annoy him and he tries to headbutt me and leave. That would be terrible. Um, I thought maybe you'd enjoy that. Who knows? Right, so we uh, talk about movies now. Should we talk about what's out at the multiplexes? Yes, let's do that. Uh, only one place to start, really, as far as I, as far as I can see. And that is, of course, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the colossal, titanic battle of the century between DC's greatest superheroes, that's, let's be honest, the most famous superheroes on the planet. Yeah. Uh, Zack Snyder directs Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, star, fight, fight, fight. Nick, who wrote the Empire Review, isn't here, but hopefully we can manage. And I know some people were wondering what Helen thought of the, of the, of the movie. She's not here this week, she's on holiday. Um, spoiler alert, she hated it. <laughs> I mean hated it. I'm going to jump in here and digress because this podcast is already 15 hours long. It's the new Citizen Kane and we might as well continue with that. Citizen Kane's not long. Um, this has been an interesting one and this happens a lot when we review, uh, shall we say, fan-baiting films where uh, if we don't immediately love a film, we do get an awful lot of pushback from people who want so much for the film to be good that absolute denial descends upon them and they become increasingly incensed with anyone who dissents from their opinion of what this film will be when they finally see it uh, and so there's been a lot of a lot of outpouring of hate uh, since we put the review up and it's a three star review mm. you know it's, it's just not a bad review it's a good review spoiler um, <laughs> sorry it's got three stars uh, okay I- now we're moving on to uh- <laughs> <laughs> Zootropolis. Yeah, it's a slightly odd thing that, that people think that if they wish hard enough, it's a Peter Pan thing, if they wish hard enough, it will be a great film. Um, it, it isn't. It's a very interesting thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a new phenomenon, because I remember when I saw Glorious Bastards at Cannes and came out and wrote uh, a reaction for Empire going, it's fantastic, it's a return to form, for me anyway, it was after a Death Proof. Uh, for Quentin Tarantino, really, really good stuff. And the comments page was just filled with people going, no, you're wrong. It's rubbish. It's going to be rubbish. I haven't seen it, but I know it's going to be rubbish. And I'm like, guys, I've seen it. I've just come out of the cinema. I'm one of the first people in the world to see it. Trust me on this one. It, it is a bit of a new phenomenon. And um, I noticed this week there was lots of people going, uh, oh, clearly you went in with your mind made up uh, as a journalist. You went in determined to hate this movie uh, I find it absolutely abhorrent I haven't seen the movie yet but I know it's going to be amazing 
well, hello, ar- the irony police are on their way. Um, but yeah, it, it it is interesting. But th- th- there's such fervor now for these movies and for the Marvel movies, and people would go into Civil War with their minds made up, and and people are uh, listening to this probably going, "Yes, you, you Marvel shill, you're probably li- you know, you're a Marvel fanboy. You're probably going in with your mind made up." And, yeah, and honestly, no, I'm not. I, I I'm going into Civil War with trepidation. I'm really hopeful that it'll be good. And I sat down with Batman, Superman. Think, hoping desperately, please be good because we don't want bad films. Mm. It's bad for business, guys. Yeah. <laughs> films are bad. And, and, I mean, I understand people thinking maybe we had a slightly negative view. I mean, we we have been liberal, I think, with the mockery of this film in the run up, not, punctuation notwithstanding. Um, That's fair to say, but 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 it's based on it's based on a silly title and you know trailers. not particularly good trailers. Yeah. You know, that's it's not it's not unfounded. I also, think. we don't operate in a bubble here at Empire we have connections we do have you know and I think any cynicism that was displayed towards this movie before we saw it was based on the idea that Man of Steel for all its flaws was a perfectly decent setup for a Man of Steel sequel and it from the outside and also you know you have you hear things that this movie didn't start off as Batman v Superman and that there does seem to have been a certain amount of panic uh, at Warner Brothers when Man of Steel didn't do that well so they parachuted Batman in and tried to kickstart in one fell swoop what took the other lot uh, four years to mm. do and there was a certain cynicism about how quickly can you make that happen is that, is that process going to be uh, flawed as a result of that attempt to make everything work in this one movie rather than doing it slowly uh, as has been proven works uh, and that that is where some of the cynicism came from. Um, but I think if you go back and you look at, you know, I'm a I'm a Batman fan. I'm a Superman fan. I really wanted this movie to be great. I you know I, I was wearing a General Saw T-shirt yesterday. I don't know whether that means I'm a Superman fan or want Superman to die. But either way, <laughs> you know, I sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I want this movie to be good, and I want the DC movies to be good, and I want there to be as many good films and as many good blockbusters out there as there possibly can be. So Amen James doesn't have to watch Citizen Kane again. <laughs> well, we, we've, we've digressed, and I apologise for that. So this is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, yes, that's right. We should talk about that, shouldn't we? <laughs> it is the follow-up to Man of Steel. Uh, it does see the return of Henry Cavill as Superman. It does introduce Ben Affleck as Batman. Um, and it's probably best to steer away from most of the plot-related stuff so as to... We'll be doing that in the spoiler we'll special. We'll be doing the spoiler special next week. Yeah. Um, it does feature Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I think we can say that. She is in the trailer. Yeah. I think that's fair. Absolutely. Uh, and it features Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. It, this did polarise the Empire office a little bit. There are, I think, a number of people who uh, thought it was... was Perfectly good. It's a good film. No one thought it was great, but they did think it was good. Yeah. And there are others among us, I think, who I think it's safe to say think it is not. There's a there's a, a good th- film. It, what's interesting about this film is that there is, and most films do polarize the office to some extent. Mm. Most, not all. There's a three star contingent. Mm. There's a two star contingent. And there's Helen. And then there's Helen. <laughs> uh, who I think can't speak for her, but I think she's towards the one star end of the spectrum and I've seen quite a few reviews um, mainly from the states of fairly big name critics also saying it's it's a mess it's the worst superhero movie since Batman and Robin it's the worst modern superhero movie of its kind I don't agree with that I, I think there's there's a, a lot to like about this film I've now seen it twice I'm going to go back to see it again this weekend with my wife There's there, there are good things about this movie but I but I very pointedly didn't say there is there's a lot to enjoy about this movie yeah. because this is not an enjoyable experience. This mm. is 
a very serious, very dark, very ponderous, portentous movie. Uh, it doesn't have, quite frankly, a lick of fun in it. It, it. It's attempting to set up a tone for the DC Extended Universe uh, that follows on a bit from Man of Steel, which, was, again, was quite serious and quite portentous, although it did have moments of humanity and moments of fun as well. Mm. And my, my problem with Batman and Superman is for all the good stuff, great visuals, good performances across the board, I would say, by and large, it is it becomes a bit of a, a, an ordeal at times because you just want one character one character to crack a smile or a joke or something I think the first thing that could probably be considered uh, an attempt at a funny line comes about 60 minutes in and then you don't have another one for another hour but that aside there are things to enjoy about this movie which James will now talk about (laughs) this is definitely not uh the worst superhero film since Batman and Robin because no, Josh it, Trank made Fantastic Four. That's ridiculous. Um, Fantastic Four was awful. I mean, we <laughs> yes. had we had a worse film eight months ago. Yeah. Six months ago, whatever yeah. it was. There, there, there is stuff to enjoy about this. I mean, it's just that they seem to have had a bunch of ideas and poured them into some kind of food mixer and just hope that a film would come out the other end and it doesn't and my biggest issue with this is it's a kind of incoherent mess you know there's no through line there's no real dramatic structure there's no you know they they seem to have just sat down and thought these are the things we wish to accomplish and I can't really talk about what those are without spoiling the film but they don't seem to really thought how they're going to get there from a story perspective and so it's just a, a mishmash of set pieces and fights and Batman branding people and, you know, all sorts of elements like that without any kind of real sort of form or structure to it. Um, I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I'm one of the... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Man of Steel apologist. I I've very much enjoyed yeah. that film. I've uh, revisited Man of Steel um, yeah. as a result of this, and there's a lot of great stuff in Man of Steel. Um, this is not better than Man of Steel, unfortunately. I sort of disagree with that. I, f- I somehow enjoyed it more than Man of Steel, but... That is probably because I didn't really enjoy Man of Steel. I don't know. <laughs> it's all relative. I think it's a low bar. Um, I, I I don't know. It it is. It I, th- I think it's incoherence is its biggest problem. It is sort of trying to world build. I think there's like five or six different movies going on in this film, and I enjoyed maybe th- two or three of those movies. Uh, it's just it's just a mess. It's just it is all over the place mm. a lot of the time. But but there but yeah there is stuff to enjoy so it's 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 a tricky one it's such a big movie but the fight sequences while they are obviously you know heavy on the CGI they're quite spectacular they're not enjoyable and one of the things I and I I'm going to do this for you Chris so you don't have to but one of the things that Marvel does so well is those those humorous grace notes that they drop into uh, into the action sequence whether it's the Hulk punching Thor or whatever it is you know it keeps you engaged it keeps you entertained it keeps you amused whereas you know Batman vs Superman is a massive downer it's a joy suck of a film and you know, without that levity to sort of give it sort of texture, it does. You get to the end and you do feel a little bit like you've been through some kind of traumatic event. Um, and, it, yeah, it really could have used a sense of fun. There will be people, I, just going from the comments we get on social media, there will be mm. people who said, that's not the point, this is DC, yeah. it's supposed to be gloomy. You know, this is the tone that they're going for. It's supposed to be the op- in opposite to Marvel's more sense of fun. But I still think that... that They've they've misjudged the tone. I think mm. there is a line, uh, sort of about two hours in, where Batman asks Alfred what's going on, and you know it's all going crazy, 
and Alfred just said, "It's hard to describe, sir," which is quite a nice moment, I think, and, it, and, and it, also true of the film. And it is true of the film. <laughs> it is incredibly hard to know what the hell is going on, yeah. but it. But that's that's the sort of moment that they needed more of because it's such huge, ridiculous action. You need to acknowledge it. You need to puncture it with a bit of dialogue and self awareness. But you mentioned the tone. I mean, Nolan hit that tone very well. Yeah. The sort of Nolanized world, that sort of serious world. He he really nailed that, and I. I just think Snyder doesn't do that. But Nolan's films weren't humour-free. No, no, not at all. And there, there are laughs, not necessarily huge laughs in the Batman trilogy, but there are laughs. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to invoke the other studio as well. But you're right. I mean, there are in in the set pieces in those movies. There seems to be uh, character action comes from character, and mm. there are moments. Uh, I was desperately disappointed I think by the the, the battle royale in this movie mm, I was really hoping that there would be moments of inventiveness and moments of of fun as the two guys wail on each other for for a while and I don't want to give anything away I'm not going to give anything away but yes you won't be surprised in the Batman Superman fight in this movie and for me it just became a bit of a bludgeoning experience not least because one of the characters is presented in pretty much straight up villainous terms in this in this movie. And the Spider Special Podcast, we're gonna get into this in a lot, lot more. I have issues with Superman, the treatment of Superman the character in this movie and Man of Steel. And I feel that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of this character and a fundamental misrepresentation of this character who is who is sunshine and who is optimism and who is hope. And I think the attempt to twist him into a real-world representation. You know, how would we act if a Superman actually came down from, from the sky? It's all well and good. I mean, I, I know why Zack Snyder wants to explore that, and I know why that's interesting to him. But for me, this is a character who is pure and simple, heroic, a good guy, who saves Air Force One from crashing, but also rescues a cat from a tree. The the you know for me I'm I'm obviously referencing the the Christopher Reeve Superman and this super that Superman is not the Superman in this movie and we'll get into it in the spoiler special and that's one of the biggest disappointments for but me he, I think Ben Affleck is very very good as Batman but, mm, but I is. think I think uh, Batman is mistreated in this film just as much he's shown he's his but, yeah. character motivation is all over the place he's shown this incredibly black and white and binary in his morality uh, and slightly obtuse all the way through. Uh, so I, I thought they mistreated Batman not as badly as Superman was mistreated, but I don't think they did did well by Batman. And I think Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor was in an entirely different movie and one that I don't want to watch. Jesse Eisenberg should be at the Blackpool Pavilion in Panto this year. <laughs> yeah, it this is weird. this is so this movie's fascinating to me because I've been reading a lot of stuff about it. I've been reading a lot of people's reports and reactions to it, and you get people uh, like Helen of this parish and Devin Faraci who are calling it absolutely horrendous and you know uh, misfire and the worst superhero movie in years, and then you get people like Drew McWeeny, uh, artist formerly known as Moriarty, over at Hitfix who loves Man of Steel. He said he would give that movie an A plus, but hated Batman versus Superman. And yet there are other people I know who prefer this Man of Steel as you do, John. Hmm. And there are people who think Jesse Eisenberg's fantastic in this film. And then there are people who think he's awful. This is such a polarising film. It's fascinating. And I really am intrigued to see what the reaction is going to be like when the public sees it, when it opens uh, at the at the, uh, at the weekend. I'm fascinated to see how, A, how big it's going to be. Uh, I'm expecting it to be have a huge opening weekend because just of the marquee value alone of Batman yeah. versus Superman. Uh, how, whether it has legs over the, over the next few weeks and you know, whether it... it 
goes past that, that billion dollar mark, which you'd imagine, you'd have to imagine, is what they're hoping it'll take in at least with Justice League about to start filming on April 11th, and whether it generates excitement for those, for those movies and for the DC Extended Universe going forward. But I'm also fascinated to see how people react, and hopefully, if you go in not with your mind made up that it's going to be good or it's going to be bad, and take the film on its own merit, which I've been able to do now, especially having seen it the second time, when the flaws become a little bit more apparent, sadly. I just, I'm fascinated to see what people think about this movie and, and whether there's a consensus, because at the moment, uh, there isn't really a consensus. The only consensus I'd say is that pretty much nobody's saying it's great and that's a bit of a shame mm. but we gave some three stars which we as did. we always say is a recommendation it is a recommendation and you absolutely should go and see this film so three stars then for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and uh, we still have two more movies to talk about mm. so sorry about the length of this week's podcast and we have yeah, honestly we haven't even scratched the surface of that of that movie so do listen to the spoiler special when we get around to doing it next week right next up is Eddie the Eagle which as I already said is the true story tweaked slightly of course uh, of Michael Eddie the Eagle Edwards uh, who was a if you don't know who Eddie the Eagle Edwards is you're in good company because Taron Edgerton the star of the movie didn't know who he was when uh, he was approached to star in the movie Uh, but he's one of the most famous British Olympians he was a ski jumper Britain's first uh, and at that time only competitive ski jumper who took part in 1988 Calgary Olympic Games Um, and he was frankly not very good and he was hailed as something of a national hero slash national treasure slash national laughingstock at the time he was in front page of all the tabloids on TV shows everywhere people rallied behind him he was dubbed Eddie the Eagle because he soared like an eagle but he didn't land like one that's for sure um, he came last in both his events the 70 metre ski jump and the 90 metre ski jump at the 1988 Olympic Games attempts have been made over the years to turn his story into a movie it seems very cinematic why wouldn't you do that uh, but it didn't really happen. Uh, incidentally, the same Winter Olympics as the guys from Cool Runnings. Yeah, nice. So that, that's it. That's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. And in fact, I believe at one point there were plans in Eddie the Eagle to have Eddie on a practice uh, practice jump, soaring over the head of these four Jamaican guys in a bobsled as they go down a hill. I'm not sure how logistically speaking that would be possible, but uh, there were plans that they were both going to kind of look at each other, and go, "Oh, hey," you know. <laughs> Uh, which is a re- really awesome. fun idea. Is there uh, a scene where Eddie the Eagle goes, I love Great Britain and Great Britain loves me? <laughs> not so this movie is now directed by Dexter Fletcher, produced by Matthew Vaughn, uh, brought to the big screen, and it's a kind of glossy, cheesy, quite fun uh, movie that wears its heart in its sleeve. Uh stars Taron Edgerton as I said who's a very very good actor this is the complete antithesis of Eggsy from Kingsman uh, he plays Eddie as a lovable naive guy but uh, someone who is very very switched on very determined he wants to become an Olympian no matter what happens uh, at, at whatever cost and he teams up with a very reluctant coach a former ski jumper called Bronson Peary fictional character uh, played by Hugh Jackman who's not a fictional character um, and together they, they have this exasperating fun buddy, mentor, mentee, I'm sure that's not a word, but it is now, uh, relationship, uh, and there's a lot of fun to be had from it. It's 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 a film with a lot of heart, um, quite straightforward, uh, but it has that sort of, that feel of a full Monty, something like that, so it's got, it's got, uh, it's got a lot of warmth. I remember when I saw it, uh, for some reason there were a group of ladies in the screen room as well, uh, who weren't affiliated with Empire, and every time Tyron Edgerton appeared on screen... And he's got these big, thick inch, thick you know, inch thick specks on his face, and he's got the he scrunches his face up, and he's got this slightly reddish, 
uh, wig on, and he doesn't look anything like the the sort of movie star that he is or or is becoming. And every every time he appeared and did something sweet, they were like, "Oh, isn't hmm. he?" Literally out loud, "Oh, isn't he amazing?" Oh, I just thought myself, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, this movie's going to be a hit." Because, you know, he just seems to have that effect on people. And Hugh Jackman's a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Walker's in it as well in, in a cameo. Uh, it's it's good, enjoyable, family fun. Uh, just ripe for half term, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, four stars then for Eddie the Eagle. And that brings us on to the last film we're going to discuss in detail this week, which is Sutropolis, or Zootopia in the States, but Sutropolis over here. Yeah, I think they changed the name for copyright reasons. I think there's a zoo called Zootopia somewhere in Europe. So here they have to call it Zootropolis. I didn't know that. And uh, there's also, I think, maybe some sort of soundtrack album called Zootopia. So there's all sorts of complicated Zootopia, <laughs> Zootropolis reason. And I don't think Disney were particularly pleased about that because they've literally had to re-record the entire film replacing Zootopia with Zootropolis, <sighs> um, which is probably quite annoying. <laughs> but anyway, whichever name you go by, Zootopia or Zootropolis, this is Disney's latest animation it's another animation in the sort of post-Pixar world and Pixar merged with Disney. So uh, the fingerprints of Pixar's John Lasseter are all over this. He's now creative off- chief creative officer at Disney. It's It's got that sort of um, Pixar feel to it. It's very fast. It's very funny. Uh, it's very well sketched out. It's a very strong plot with very strong characters. Uh, and it looks beautiful. Um, so it's sort of set in this... Uh, all mammal world where it's a, it's a world where mammals have evolved past their primitive origins to become human-like uh, and they wear clothes they have normal jobs uh, they live in a very civilized society predators and prey now get along there's a great bit in a, a natural history museum where you see tigers and zebras uh, or lions and zebras sorry uh, shaking hands and that's part of their, their the history of this world they've evolved past all this uh, and in this world, we have the main character is Judy Hopps, who's a bunny who wants to become a police officer in the Zootropolis Police Department in ZPD. Um, uh, and she wants she's like the first prey to ever become a police officer because the police tend to be alpha predators, you know. And she has to team up with this wily fox called uh, Nick Wilde to solve this case of animals who are going reverting back to their primitive state. Um, and there are all sorts of colourful characters along the way. It's honestly, I love this film. It's so enjoyable. It's it, it's possibly the funniest film I think I've seen this year. It's even it's, funnier than Batman v Superman. <laughs> even funnier <laughs> than the laugh fest of Batman v Superman. Uh, it's it's got just so many nice moments. The, the the joy of this film is in the background. There's so many like funny little visual jokes like there's there's lemmings in business suits who will just follow each other around and there's a frozen gag isn't there isn't there a there duke is. weaselton there is a who duke is indeed voiced by alan tudyk yes who voiced the duke of weaselton <laughs> that's right in, yes in frozen yeah there's lots of little nice touches <laughs> like that i like the sloths the, i haven't seen the film the I sloths are brilliant but yeah mm. it, it that's in the trailer where the sloths man the dmv is genius and so they're the slowest like counter service you've ever seen. Honestly, that the, the scene of the smiling, the really slow smiling sloth, that has become my favourite thing so far this yeah. year. That's my spirit animal. Hon- honestly, I absolutely adore this film. I reviewed it for the mag. I gave it four stars, but I came close to giving it five. Uh, uh, it, it, it 
starts to lose the plot a little bit in the third act it becomes slightly formulaic so it's not quite a perfect movie but it's close it's close and on Rotten Tomatoes I think it's on 99% wow compared to Batman vs Superman's 33% last time I looked <laughs> so 33 wow so uh, I would say this is probably the best film out this week Pick if you week. are really only seeing one film maybe make it this one but you haven't seen any of the eagle I haven't seen any of the eagle so I can't come on comment on that but uh, I'm going to wager it's better interesting also this week is Mojave which is a thriller by William Monaghan which stars Oscar Isaac and Garrett Hedlund and Walton Goggins uh, sadly not quite as good as the talent uh, involved uh, and rivaling Sutropolis and Eddie the Eagle for, in the four star stakes is uh, Disorder uh, which stars uh, Matthias Schoenertz and uh, Diane Kruger it's a, a thriller slash character study uh, he plays a paranoid ex-soldier who senses uh, evil surrounds him and you know what? He may actually be right as well. Uh, partly conspiracy thriller, uh, part action thriller as well. Uh, Phil interviewed Matthias Schoenart for that, and you haven't lived until you've heard his Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, uh, which you will hopefully be able to find on the podcast very soon. Not the podcast, on the website. On, yes, we're yes. putting on a YouTube. It's, yes. it's extraordinary. Yes. It's, uh, Who's Arnold Schwarzenegger impression? Matthias Schoenart. Okay. Okay. Uh, he sort of has a fit. Yeah. He's sort of like, It's amazing. Uh, but better than that. He was quite Total exactly. Recall. I could identify the exact okay. scene. Yeah. Oh, is it the bit where he goes? Give these people to air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So four stars for <laughs> disorder. <laughs> Probably good that we didn't talk about it in, in greater detail. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more formulated fun. But once again, I don't have the foggiest clue who's going to be joining us. I hope it's going to be someone cool. I was going to make an announcement who it might be, but I honestly have no idea. Uh, I do check in next week with hopefully our Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice spoiler special featuring Zack Snyder, Deborah Snyder and Chuck Roven will also be up answering some of your questions. They'll be answering some of your questions, of course, and uh, we'll be answering the rest. So do keep those questions coming to us, podcast at empireonline.com. Until then, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. Uh, it's goodbye from James. Call me Rosebud. <laughs> And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to look at the camera, wink, and say bangly bang. See you next week. Bye.